not with anyone else, and responsibilities and a relationship with them that we have with no one else. And so it is harder in many ways in the intimacy of our homes to do it. It is still the call of Christ to be above all and exalted and honored the way that we do it at home. And so we've got to bring it home. Um, And it is by his grace, all of it, as we read this book, is Christ is above all, is our Lord and our Savior. And the one who is enabling us not only to do and to follow him out there, but to follow him at home. The grace to be his people there, as anywhere and everywhere. We're in Colossians chapter 3, we're in verses 20 and 21. Um, you will see me struggle a little bit because I've, I did wives one week and then I did husbands one week and I, and I should have done children one week and parents one week, but I didn't. I'm doing children and parents together today. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire hose you with stuff, realizing I'm sorry, I should have done this in two sermons, but uh, oh well, um, th- this is what you got. But we're going to step back to start in verse 17. Hear then the word of God. Paul says that whatever you do, you're to do it in word. Whether you do, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, you're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Probably should say parents. Um, Could be translated that way, should be translated that way perhaps. Fathers and mothers, parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this day, the chance to gather into your presence as your people, to sit at your feet and learn of you. Father, I pray for us all. We are either parents or children um, or Grandparents, great-grandparents, Father, all of us are entangled in these relationships that you have placed us in and designed for our good. So have mercy on us this morning and help us to see your design for our homes, that we may bring honor and glory to you, Christ above all, even there. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Once again, I was watching, as we watched the Winter Olympics, um, one of the things I noticed and struck me again is how when athletes would finish their run and finish uh, their, their performance, whatever they were doing, whether it was an ice skater or a, you know, a snowboarder, but when they finished their, their, their deal, they, they went straight to the sideline, they went straight to their trainer. There was almost always a hug, there was almost always some interaction between the athlete and their trainer, trainer as they would stand and watch the board together, waiting for the score to come in on how they did, the trainer and the athlete standing side by side. Because we know that when the performance goes well, if the performance went well, there were two key things that were involved in it. One was the hard work and dedication of the athlete. And the other was good training. And the two would stand side by side to see the results. Every athlete needs a good trainer. An athlete often shows up in their youth with with raw talent. But to to be the best that they can be, they need someone to train them, to hone their skills. And a trainer, he is the one who has age, or she, is the one who has age and experience and who knows the sport. And so can help the athlete to 
learn and to grow, to take their raw talent and hone it, to be the best that they can be, to give them success in their sport. And so the athlete will submit themselves to the trainer. The athlete is going to be the one who has to compete and ultimately, but, but the athlete will submit themselves to the trainer and allow their life to be directed by the, by the wisdom and the influence of another. They submit to it. Tell me what to do so that I can be the best that I can be. And the trainer imposes boundaries and schedules on the athlete, right? He enforces different routines and, and that kind of thing, everything from their eating habits to their working out and to their practice. The, the trainer, for years and years leading up to that performance in the Olympics or whatever, for years, imposes boundaries and training in order to protect and to prepare the athlete for the day when they must compete. As you can see, it's all for one purpose. It's to shape and to train the athlete to be the best at their sport. The whole point of it is, is for the athlete to succeed. And I'll put it to you, that's not unlike the parent and their child. And the same goals are involved. The child is like an athlete who has a lot of raw talent. Sometimes it's really raw. But, but, but there's talent in there, you know, that they are created in the image of God and they have... All of this, it goes on, and they must allow their life to be directed by the wisdom and the imposition of another to prepare them and to train them for the day when they will have to compete. And a parent's like a trainer who brings age and experience, and he knows the sport. They know the sport. They know what it takes to succeed, but they come to the task with the goal of parental discipline being to protect and to train the child until the day that they can go ultimately and become self-disciplined. I don't know if you know that's the goal of your discipline of your child. The goal of your discipline is to so protect them so that they survive to adulthood, which sometimes is, you know, to protect them but to train them ultimately to be self-disciplined. Ultimately, one day they could be a trainer because they've internalized, they've been, they've been shaped by and become self-regulated. You know, self-disciplined, which is maturity. Some of us as adults and as parents may need to look at that for a minute. I think that we need to be ultimately self-disciplined and regulated so that we can train and become the coaches in our own children's lives. It's the way that God has designed it. It's the way that God has put it together. Remember in verse 17, as we just read, and whatever you do you're in word or deed, because he is the image of the invisible God, and he is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the head of his church and the Lord of all, and because he is all these things, whatever you do, do it all in the name of this exalted Lord who is your brother, your Lord, your Savior, your friend, your King. Whatever you do, do it. And then he goes immediately and he applies that, Christ above all, doing it in his name. And he applies it to every relationship. He starts at home, right, with husbands and wives. And it does start with you. And I will tell you that if you haven't figured that out, that's the most important relationship in your home. And we sometimes get confused when we have kids and we think all of a sudden that's the most important relationship. But it's not. Yours is still primary. And the most important gift you can give to your children is a strong and healthy marriage. And the great danger is to neglect each other in order to focus on the child. 
but you can't do that. I'm not saying a certain amount of focus goes there, but, but you always have to have one eye on your relationship dating and pursuing each other and loving one another and making sure that relationship is strong and healthy because that's what your children need. And then he calls children and parents to follow Jesus at home. And it's really all that we're talking about. And so often in, in, in talking about these things in every different context and trying to help people understand what does it look like to follow Jesus at home. Like I said, I don't know why it's so hard at home sometimes. We know what we do if it was in the workplace or we were at church on a Sunday morning. We know how to treat people. We paste it on and we do it. But then sometimes it's hard to do it at home. And yet following Jesus at home is all we're talking about. Honoring him and following him as his people at home. But when we do this, living for Christ in our most intimate relationships, this means that the relationships are not just about you and the relationship. And I've said this before, it's not just about you and your child. Right? It's about you and your Lord. He's the one who calls you and commands you to not provoke them and discourage them. Right? And if your children here this morning, it's not just about you and your parent. Right? It's about you and your Lord. He's the one who calls you to obey your parents. Right? He's the one who, who commands you and speaks to you. And so obeying your parents is all about obeying the Lord at the same time. Because he's the one who has designed it. He's the one who calls. It's not just about you. It's not just about us. And so in verse 19, he tells children to obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. It pleases God. So let me ask you, children, if you were to read that verse, if you heard me just read it, if you're here this morning and you're a child, when he says, how many things is he telling you that you need to obey your parents in? One thing? Two things, the things that you want to, right? He says, the Lord says, obey your parents in everything. And he says to do it because this pleases him. It honors him when we treat our parents with respect because it's actually ultimately obeying him and treating him with respect because he's the one who called us to do it, called you to do it. When we respond respectfully, when you respond respectfully to your parents, with a willing heart, God is pleased. God calls for children to obey. This call for children to obey their parents runs through the whole of Scripture. You know, it goes all the way back to the beginning. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5, 16 says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord has commanded you. As he does again in Colossians, the Lord, as the Lord commands you, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land for the Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you. People often ask me, what does it mean to, to honor your father and your mother? And I would say, well, it, it may mean more than this, but it doesn't mean less than obeying them. It at least means that. It means obeying him. It's clear from Ephesians 6. I've told you as we've walked through some of this in Colossians that uh, part of Ephesians 5 in the first part of Ephesians 6 parallels uh, very closely Colossians 3. And so Ephesians 6 in the parallel verse to this in, in Ephesians says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And that parallels, for it pleases the Lord, for this is right. And then he shows why it's right that children should obey their parents because, quotes the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. 
The first commandment, Paul points out, with a promise. So children, as you obey your parents, you know, Paul points out when God gave the commands, the first command that he gave that came with a promise of blessing was to the children. He says to honor your father and mother and respect them and obey them. This comes with a promise that it may go well with you. It's for your own good. It's for your own blessing that you should come under the authority of your parents. That you may live long, he says, in the land. On the flip side of this, that God takes disobedience very seriously. And he does for all of us. Because in the different places, I was, you know, and I'm just going to pick one of them. There's quite a few places you could go. But it's interesting when Paul is writing in, uh, in 2 Timothy to the church and talking about the last days that we in, are in, in many ways, in, in, the, in the last days, where there will be all different kinds of ungodliness that will, that will mark the culture and the atmosphere in which we live. And he gives this list of stuff and I've edited it. It's a long list, and it applies to uh, uh, parents, most of it, uh, but also applies. It's interesting to see, says, you know, people are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They're going to be proud and arrogant and abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Right? And you see that right tucked in the middle of there is disobedient to their parents. Right? And that list of other things. Right? And so God takes it seriously. It goes on that list at all of his commands. You know, when, when, when they all go on that list of, of things that displease him when we do. So as we read that list, you know, it moves our hearts to understand how God wants our best and how seriously he takes these things when we don't obey. God gives this command for your good. All right? He gives it to you because he loves you. Right? He tells you to obey your parents because he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. And he knows that they want what's best for you. And he knows they're the best ones to give it to you. If they don't, who will? Right? God loves you, and so he tells you to submit yourself to your, to your parents. Because they want what's best for you. Think of the trainer again. See, when the trainer, you know, on the athlete, when the trainer sets a curfew or he sets, you know, limits on unhealthy things and he imposes boundaries on the athlete, right, he doesn't do it because he wants to ruin the athlete's fun, right, or because he, because he you know, he just wants to be mean to control the athlete or because he, right, these aren't, this is never the, the motive. Why does he impose boundaries and impose these things? It's always because he wants the best, the best for the athlete. Not being mean, not stealing your fun, right? Trying to shape them, to protect them, to help them, right? God has given your parents a really hard job. Do you know that? God has given your parents a really hard job because their job is to protect and to train you, right? You. And I I just ask you, is that an easy job? That's not an easy job, right? If you looked in the mirror, like if you looked at yourself lately, that's not an easy job, protecting and training you. God has given them a hard job to do. You may not understand their decisions. You may not like their decisions. But I would encourage you to trust them. Right? You may not understand them. You may not like them. But, but trust them. Right? Because they do love you, and they do want what is best for you. No one loves you like they do. I know sometimes you might be tempted to think, oh, they're making me do this, or oh, they won't let me do that. They must not love me, or they're, you know, they're just... 
That's a temptation. It's a temptation to not trust your parents who want the best for you and are doing the best that they can. You know, believe it or not, they are not trying to ruin your fun. One day when you're older, you're going to get it. You'll understand. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This is one of the little-known secrets of childhood. Your parents are smarter than you think they are. It's true. I know you're like, oh, Pastor Robert, like, you, don't, you don't know my parents. You're just going to have to trust your pastor on this one. <laughs> your parents are smarter than you think they are. And they love you more than life itself. And they are trying before God to do their best to raise you the way God would want them to. They might make mistakes. They might be making a mistake in that decision, but it's their mistake to make. They're not going to do it perfectly. None of us are going to do it perfectly. You're not doing it perfectly, right? None of us are. But they're doing the best that they can before God. You know, in, um, <clears throat> in Hebrews 13, Paul, well, the writer of Hebrews, whoever that man may be, um, writes in Hebrews 13, 17, he writes it to leaders in the church, to the church about submitting to their leadership. It's, he writes to the, to the members of a church and says this about obeying the leadership. But I think it can be applied if you just switch out the words uh, to children obeying their parents. Uh, because I think the same is true, but it tells, you know, church, hey, church, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls. They are looking to protect you and to train you in the ways of righteousness and to direct you there. And, and whatever boundaries they impose and whatever things that they do, they do it as those who are keeping watch and as those who will have to give an account. Just like children, obey your parents and submit to them. Because they are keeping watch over your souls. That's their job before God, and it's not an easy job. And they're going to have to give an account, in a sense, for doing their job, which is why they're doing the best they can and not just doing whatever you want them to, which is not their job. Let them do this with joy. Don't make it hard for them. Those who will give an account. And so he says to parents, parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't discourage your children. It's your job, right? We got the, the words, the wife is to submit, the husband uh, is uh, to love, children are to obey, and parents are to, you don't get one word, right? You get not provoke, um, but encourage. Don't discourage, they'll be discouraged. So you could put in there, by not provoking is to encourage, that, that the way that we do is to not provoke our children, but to encourage our children. It's a, in many ways, it's a simple command, but I don't know if you're like me sitting there and it's thinking, okay, what exactly does that mean to provoke my children? They get provoked anytime I tell them to do anything, right? Um, <clears throat> how, how do I do with not provoking them? But, he is, but he's speaking to you as you do your job, to, to not you, do your job in such a way that is creating... Uh, a hostile relationship to provoke them or discourage them, right? Think of the, think of the trainer in, in the Olympic thing. You know, is his job, is he doing his job well if the athlete under his care is discouraged and, and thinks he can't? You know, what kind of Olympic athlete approaches the games discouraged and thinking that, you know, beat down and can't do it and, you know, the trainer doesn't, is not happy with me and don't provoke your children. A good trainer 
empowers and encourages because we are training them to be something and to own it for themselves and to live it for themselves, right? To love it and to live it, to be a young, mature follower of Christ who loves the Lord and lives in joy and freedom and grace. So how do we not provoke and exasperate our children? Now, let me give you my list as I thought about this. I don't know. I've read some lists elsewhere, you know, as other people are thinking about this. I'm thinking about, so you get some of mine. Here are basically things that I've learned in terms of ways that I've, not because I did them perfect, but because this is by trial and error and almost 30 years of being a parent. Um, here, condensed, boiled down, and presented to you are five or six ways that I would say that we can provoke our children as parents when we don't know our job clearly and don't always have the right goal in view as we go about doing that job. So let me just give you a few things that I think will, will provoke and discourage our kids. And number one is if we abuse our power. Right? We, God has given you incredible authority over your children, almost absolute authority, outside of illegal things that the state will find out about. You know, he's given us great authority in our home homes over our kids. And, you know, the old saying where, where absolute authority, you know, can corrupt absolutely. And sometimes power can be misused, even at home, as parents. We're trainers, right? And we are imposing boundaries and rules to protect them and to train them. Power is not given to us to simply punish them and control them, right? And that's sometimes how we parent, right? We want to control them, and when I'm not getting the behavior I want, I punish them, right? But that's not the goal, neither of those. We're not just out to control our children. We're out to train our children, to teach them Right? To be self-disciplined, ultimately, to teach them what it means to be a mature adult and follower of Christ. So we're, the goal is training, not punishing. Right? New Testament says, perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And, and God is trying to tell us, the punishment that you deserve was on Christ. And so, when discipline, when hard things come into our lives, he says, receive it as God's discipline. He disciplines those he loves, and he disciplines us for our good. He's not punishing us, ever. The parental relationship is not like that, and our model is in him. The love with which he has loved us in Christ, which nothing can separate us from, doesn't punish, but it trains and prepares us. And so we're not punishing our children, we're disciplining them. And we do need to bring discipline, and sometimes it is uh, corporal, and it is, it brings, um, not punishment, I'm trying to think of the right word, when we take things away, and, you know, it might mean spanking, it might mean different things, depending on how you've decided to do it, it, this kind of negative discipline into their lives, but we do it not to punish them for what they did, but to train them. And so the goal has to be, as you think about how you respond to what they're doing, my goal is to train them. I'm not punishing them. And sometimes they make us mad and we want to punish them for how they have made us feel. But it's not about you. Your relationship with your kids and that, those things that you bring into their lives, it's not about you. You know, when they make it, you know, sometimes we're, 
worried about whether I look like a good parent, how they make me look, and so I'm responding to my kids out of stuff. And it's, it's not about you. It's about your children before God and, and the ways that you are shaping them and training them in the way that they should go. And so we have to be careful not to just criticize them or put them down, to discourage them. We have to be careful that we're correcting them and encouraging them in the right way, to be careful when you tease them that you don't go too far, that it really is fun, and sometimes that is, but I've seen in in my own life sometimes where I've gone too far, and you can shame or discourage or hurt them in ways, you know, and sometimes we act like kids in the ways that we misuse our power. We have great power. Your words have incredible power in your child or your grandchild's life. And so we have to be very careful that we're not provoking and discouraging them, but that we are training them. And whatever teasing or whatever goes on is in the the effort to build relationship and intimacy, that it's fun and that they enjoy it as much. And where it isn't, it's not funny. Discipline is used to correct and to train in righteousness. Everything we do as parents should be aimed at their good. And if it's not, then you shouldn't do it. We're not punishing, never embarrass or shame. As far as possible, we shouldn't discipline them in front of other people. As far as possible, you should take them in the other room or do it later. Pull them aside, pull them out, whatever it is, but take them aside. So we're not embarrassing and shaming them in front of them. I don't want you to do, if you want to correct me, I'd appreciate you didn't do it in front of eight people. Right? Pull me aside and tell me, please. I will try to hear you. You know, like, Tell me the truth, but just don't embarrass and shame me in front of eight other people. You know, it's just that kind of thing that we're thinking about their good to encourage them. And so right alongside of this is never, never discipline in anger. And thank God I read this early because I was a fairly angry young man. And I read this early where it said, never discipline your child in anger, which is what we often do until they make us angry. And then we do something, right? And that's often how it goes. But, but he says, Never discipline in anger. And I think about that as, again, God's pattern for us. His anger and his wrath was poured out on his son. And it says God disciplines those he loves for their own good. And he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. That he's for us and he's not against us and he's on our side. He is not angry. He doesn't reach out, oh, he did it again and smack you. Like he he doesn't... The scripture labors for you to see your father who is in heaven, who loves you and who cares for you and, and who has already poured out his wrath and his anger on his son. You know, it feels good to vent our anger. When we've been defied or disrespected or something goes down, you know, and we're angry, it feels good to vent it. Sinfully, wrongly, good to vent it. But never should we vent it on our children. Again, discipline is not about you. It's not about satisfying your anger and your sense of whatever justice you feel, you know, because of what goes on. It's not about you. Whatever your child has done, I would suggest that you step away and repent of your anger and deal with God over your anger and then come back and deal with your child in a way that he understands what he's done and he understands what he needs to do and he understands why you're doing what you're doing and that you love them and you discipline them. For their good, 
not for the satisfaction of something going on in you. James 1.20 says the anger of man or woman, the anger of a man or a woman does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't. It can't. And so when we do that, we are not training them in righteousness. In fact, we're giving them a really bad example of, 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 of it, right? Because we want them to ultimately model us in the way that we handle those things. Ultimately, we should be the model of it. So we have to get our anger, we have to deal with our anger with the Lord. And so come to our children as loving parents who are out for their good. So never strike, never come at your child verbally or physically just in anger. It should be explained. It should be measured. Here's the crime. Here's the discipline that comes with it. Here's why I'm doing it. And I do it because I love you. You know, that whole hurts me more than it hurts you. There's some level that that should be true. I do it because I love you. And, I, and, and when we're done, we should hug them and tell them um, <clears throat> something I, I learned early on. And that, you know, that our discipline then should be rational and it should be explained and it should be measured. And when you're done, you should hug them and tell them that you love them. And that this doesn't mean that you're mad at them. You know, that, you, that, that this is for their good, that you want them to be who God is making them to be, and that you're on their side, you're not against them. They should never go away and wonder whether you're on their side, whether you love them, or whether you're for them. Whatever the trainer tells the athlete, whatever discipline he brings into it, it's to make them better and to prepare them. Be consistent. We, it, it, is, it is discouraging and confusing to children when we are not consistent. We need to set clear boundaries and clear penalties. Tell a child what he needs to do, and if he doesn't do it, here's going to be the, here's going to be the discipline that's imposed to teach you to do it next time, right? So if I, tell you, if I tell you to clean up your Legos and we're going to bed, clean up your toys, and you don't do it, here's going to be what happens, right? Tomorrow, you get this and this taken away, you know? And if you... If you Bad mouth me. If you talk back, then I'm going to spank you. You know, or whatever it is. I don't know where you are in corporal punishment. I'm going to leave that to you before the Lord. But, <clears throat> um, but there should be a clear. In other words, a child should not be confused about what the rules are or what's going to happen if those rules are broken. Right? And you and I, in our, in our society, I mean, that's the way we want to function too. I want to know what the law is, and I want to know what the punishment is if I break the law. You know, it's very confusing for a child to live in a home that he never knows what's going to set you off. He never knows what's going to happen. He never knows what the punishment will be. One time, it's you, you, know, you just told him, don't do that, and the next time, he was grounded for a week. You know, it's one of those, you know, the, the inconsistency of it, that they should know what's going to, you do this, you're going to do this. And the second thing is this, in, in this thing, be consistent that if you set boundaries and you set, <clears throat> you set those guidelines, um, enforce them. Enforce them. It is so confusing to a child that you say, if you do this, and if you, if you don't pick up your toys when I tell you to pick up your toys, and, and you say, this is what's going to happen, and then that doesn't happen, you've just taught them that ain't going to happen. Right? You just taught them that, that that's not necessarily true. You know, Dad says things like that, but I never know. Or sometimes you enforce it, and sometimes you don't enforce it. And so the kid's like, I don't know what's going to happen. And what often happens, though, is if you don't enforce, if you don't put your toys away when I tell you it's time for bed and I ask you to do it, and I'm going to warn you once, I've asked you to put away your toys, here's what's going to happen, remind them, right, no surprises, and then if they don't, what happens is, instead of enforcing the rules as often or not, and I speak this from very personal experience, as often or not, what we'll try to do is control them by volume and anger, 
I told you to put it. And the volume rises, anger rises. You know, why? Because we're trying to control them to get them to do my will, and they won't do it, and so I'm trying to use the force of my... A man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, right? And so all I need to do is tell them, okay, you didn't do it. Here's the punishment. And if the, and if the punishment isn't being enough for the deterrent, then that has to raise. But instead of getting mad, simply enforce the rules. I, I know there's an art to this, and you're going to be like, oh, Robert, come to my house. <clears throat> Believe me, I've been there. The kids are all the same. I had to. I, I understand, but there is a way in which we go after it. Um, and that we seek to honor God in the way that we do it, even as we demand obedience out of them. But we demand obedience and righteousness out of ourselves as well, as we seek to honor God and to do whatever we do in his name, to do it in ways that are consistent with his character. I'm going to just throw a couple quick things at you. One, uh, don't be overly protective and legalistic. Too often we run our homes by fear instead of faith. You know, we're afraid for our child, and so so many of our rules come out of, uh, out of our fear right up till the day they leave our home. We're, af- we're afraid for them, and, and fear is not a good motivator for almost anything in life, including our parenting. There has to be a vision of training our children and, as athletes who need to be able to run and to think and to be self-regulating and to live that life, and so we need to prepare them for that life, and it can't be done if we're living in fear. And so we need to give age-appropriate responsibility and freedom. Let them grow up. Treat them like they're growing up. And as they reach older ages, to give them more responsibility and more freedom. And remember this, you are always, you are always training them to leave you. And if you just protect them right down to the last minute, they're not prepared to leave you. You have to prepare them to leave, and to prepare them to leave means you have to give them some leash along the way. Let them feel their responsibility. Let them taste freedom. Don't let the first time for them to taste freedom be when they leave your house. I have story after story. I did college ministry for a while, and the kids that, that lived under that, you know, a tight leash to the day they went to college, there's nobody to tell them what to do. And if they haven't learned to self-regulate and to be self-disciplined and to own those things by giving them responsibility and freedom, letting them fail under your roof so that you can disciple them and encourage them and to help them see where they failed while you can so that they are prepared. It is the Lord who calls parents to discipline without provoking. It's the Lord who calls children to obey. It is the Lord who is able to help us both as parents and children. Again, it's about following Jesus. And he's the one who fills us with his spirit and calls us to abide in him. And that in abiding in him, we will bear much fruit as obedient children and as loving, encouraging parents who are training their children. It's the Lord who commands both of us. It's the Lord who will help us to do all that he's called us to do. It is the Lord who will forgive us when we disobey, when we fail to do it well. And we will fail. As children, as, as, as parents, children are struggling with their lack of knowledge and experience. They're struggling with youthful immaturity. They're kids. They're not mature by definition, right? And sometimes we expect more of them than they're able to give. They will struggle with their flesh and their sin, and so will you with your pride and your anger and your selfishness. You will struggle even with regret. 
I know as Lynn and I look back after raising our kids and they're out the door and you see things in their lives that you worked on while they were at home, you know, and, and, and there's that re- regret. Could we have done it better? Should we have done it? And I, would, I guess the last word I would speak to you is that God's grace reigns over all of it. Just as his call is over all of it and his glory is the one, and the one who calls us, so his grace is over it. If you, I can just tell you now, no matter how perfect your parenting is or isn't, you are not going to launch a perfect child into the world. You're just not. It's never been done before, and you will not be the first, right? Or a grandchild or whatever, right? Because it's a lifelong process. You're not there. You're not perfect yet, right? So our children aren't going to be. So there is a level of tension, of understanding that I have a job to do till they leave, and I need to do it to the best of my ability. But when they leave, the job's not done, right? God has them. When I left my house, I did not get all that I needed, right? But God wasn't done. God's not done with your kids. And there's great grace that, that things that maybe weren't perfect or got missed at home or whatever it is you're thinking and feeling, in so many ways you launch them into God's hands. And God's grace covers many things. His mercy is new. God is a Father whose every command is love for our good and before whom there's no fear of punishment. Hebrews 12 tells us He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. We are raising them to leave and disciplining them for their good. And it's not about us. It's about loving them well. Jesus was the perfect son and the perfect child who obeyed in everything where we fail. Right? He obeyed where we failed to obey. He died to pay for that disobedience. He paid for our failures both as parents and as children. And thanks be to God that he covers all of that on the cross As children and parents, grace now covers the whole process, and it sets us free that we can pursue it without fear. So we may strive with great joy to follow him and to be like him at home, knowing that the gospel and his grace reigns over it all. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a perfect father and that you have loved us so well and that you are not out to punish us, but you have given your own son that we might live under your grace, that we might live under mercy. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect child, who did everything and obeyed in every way, and who gave up that perfect life so that we might be set free, free to seek to follow you at home and in the world, in the workplace and in the park. Father, in every sphere of life that we would seek to follow and to honor you in who we are and how we do all that you've called us to do. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing and to remember that in this whole process, you are not the great one. Right? You're an under-shepherd, but there is a great over-shepherd. There is a Lord and lover of your souls, and there is a Lord and lover of your children's souls. And how great he is. Let's worship.